Good evening, good evening, good evening. You know what that growl indicates. We're going to get right into another KG, Fifth Water Wildcat and Doc podcast. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Doing well. Let's go. Let's, see, I'm ready. Right, let's get right I'm into well. it. doing well. That only didn't sound like just a Fifth Water. That sounded like a Northwestern Wildcat. <laughs> yeah, good point. Touche. Touche. Nice segue, sir. Nice segue, Doc. Good job. Good let's job. get right into it then. Talk about that. We can strike, strike. Let's strike. That's thing, what they call a union. First thing, there you go. First things first, though. Yes, we do know that the Rice Owls have a Rice men's basketball has a new head coach, Mike Rhodes, former assistant coach at the Commonwealth. We also know that the University of Houston James Dickey stepped down on Monday. The Cougars have begun a national search, and reportedly Kelvin Sampson is the leading candidate for that job. We know all those things. We'll get into that later on in the podcast. But the big deal. And since we have a sports business doctor been waiting on, on our panel since 2.40 p.m. when I got that tweet, we are going to talk about wrote that down. the National Labor Relations Board ruling that Northwestern football players qualify as employees of university and can unionize. Go ahead, Dr. Cavell. Doc, before you get started, I'm going I'm to I'm say this, then I'm going to turn it over to you. Go ahead. Best comment I heard, uh, I read out of that article today was asked, when asked why... Uh, Northwestern gave him a scholarship, seventy-five worth seventy-five thousand dollars a year. Quarterback Kane Coulter replied to play football to perform an athletic service. I wonder if Coulter is willing to pay taxes on that seventy-five thousand dollars, which will read as income. Doc. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure he he'll be willing to, but pay taxes on it. But there's a lot of ways that people don't understand in terms of how taxes are mitigated in terms of how they are earned. So don't get lost in these folks that just talk about taxable income, particularly from nonprofit organizations. Plus, what people don't understand also, um, depending on what's taxable in terms of scholarships, just like a student that got a scholarship for physics, his is not taxable. His revenue that he would earn based on his salary would be taxable. But just because it's a scholarship does not automatically mean that it's taxable. So people try to throw things out there to scare folks because they have a hidden agenda. But the biggest thing <clears throat> that this really does is starts in motion the court fights. This probably will last, to be honest, three, four, maybe five years. There's a chance that this will go all the way up to the Supreme Court. And we know um, we need to really look a little closer in terms of how the Supreme Court has voted on labor law issues to really get a faction in terms of how they will sway much in fact, both one side and another. Also, you have the issues in terms, although we suggest that our highest judges are not necessarily benefactors in terms of which party affiliation they are, and that's why they have a life term. But we understand that presidents put certain uh, people in there, judges on the Supreme Court, because they tend to go in a certain philosophy of their doctrine, and they allow, obviously, past court relations to support their direction. I'll say all that. But really, let's get to what's interesting and get past some of this legal components. But I thought something that was significant in this is when the Chicago uh, National Labor um, body made a statement, which is the Chicago district that did this. One of the things they looked at was the fact that when they looked at the governing rules of players in terms of being beholden to scholarships that only were renewable for one year. And I want you all to think about some stuff. These people that are running these leagues, commissioners, athletic directors, give them a lot of credit. These people are smart. They were trying to get ahead of this. Remember, they legislated the fact that you could start giving, what, four-year scholarships? Right. Yep. They would come in. They knew that having that one-year renewable was going to hurt them. And financially, they knew they could afford to give the four-year scholarships. So they pushed forward with that. Remember, at the same time, they tried to push through the stipend. It actually got voted in. But then the way the NCAA's policy, those schools that couldn't afford it came back and got just enough of the votes at 60%, just over the limit to be able to freeze that and ask for more time to study it, they understood what was coming. They understood that the cash flow, the restrictions that they do on athletes, is not going to continue to stay up in court once somebody really looked at it. So I think they have some major issues. 
And the way that we see sports managed today by the NCAA, it has forever changed. It will change. Even if it is not to the worst degree what we're looking at in terms of players being able to unionize and at some point collectively bargain for some type of salary, which that salary in itself would be taxable. Okay. Based on whether you get that in addition to a scholarship, those are questions that are going to be governed by bylaws, which are based on some rules. And remember, once you collectively bargain something, uh, it supersedes um, other general working relationships because there's collective bargaining. So that's where this may go ultimately. Another component that I want to suggest is when you read these articles, you hear terms uh, that this board put out releases and said when they looked, it was obvious that the relationship that colleges have with players put them dead in the middle of the definition of a employee. Stop right there, sir. <clears throat> I want to read a quote from an article uh, posted on ESPN.com. It's all over the place. It's all over the Internet. It's, you know, it's all business, websites, sports, all those different issue <clears throat> websites. Quote from Ramagi Huma, who will give him a lot of credit because he was the first person. He was president of both the uh, National mm-hmm. College Play Association, which is a nonprofit ad- advocacy group that he formed in 2001. And then Kappa, which is basically a part of another group that helped the players organize. organize. Well, well put. Here's a quote that I want you, if you don't mind, sir, because you touched on a key thing saying employees. Quote, the NCAA invented the term student athlete to prevent the exact ruling that was made today. For 60 years, People have bought into the notion that they are students only. The reality is players are employees, and today's ruling confirms that. The players are one giant step closer to justice, end quote. Definitely. Um, I pointed out a book as we started this, and you'll see it in front of you, and I'll do this for the listeners. If you want to get a better understanding of how the term student-athlete involved, there's a book by Walter Byers with Charles Hammer, which is called Unsportsmanlike Conduct, Exploiting College Athletes. I'll say it again. Walter Byers, that's B-Y-E-R-S, with Charles Hammer, Unsportsmanlike Conduct, Exploiting College Athletes. Walter Byers, for those that may not recognize that name, was actually served as the NCAA Executive Director from 1951 to 1987 was charged with the dual mission of keeping intercollegiate sports clean while generating millions of dollars each year as income for the college. He exposes this history on what takes place. And at the time, he really did not understand that the financial reward that the NCAA institutions were going. Remember, 1987 was even pre-1988 when Oklahoma and the University of Georgia created the lawsuit against the NCAA to have control on the football end of their own television contracts. That was probably the largest lawsuit component that really changed the game in terms of what we see now, which is the obvious commoditization of college athletics. One other thing I'll read in here just to give you a little in-depth view of his thoughts were from Byers' first enforcement case against the University of Kentucky in 1952 to the NCAA's 1987 death penalty. He was a part of that. Levied against Southern Methodist University, better known as new for us around in this area, uh, out of Dallas. He shows the change in the athletic environment from simple rules and personal responsible officials to convoluted Cyclopedic regulations with high-priced legal firms defending college violators against a limited NCAA reinforcement system. So this is a must-read if you want to get the backdrop of how all these terms of student-athletes was formed. He actually goes on record, and it was quoted in some of the articles that you're reading, uh, that the term, quote-unquote, student-athletes, was the term that they invented during that time that allowed them to try to get 
as far away as possible from lawsuits such as this in terms of athletes being called employees. One last thing I will remind you. The reason they did this because in the state of Colorado, there were actually judges at that time back pre-1952. There are legislative laws on the books that ruled in favor of athletes as employees of the university. That is correct. Yep. So that is actually things that you can go look up if you want to understand and don't want the wool pulled over your eyes and think that this is something that's new or something that is ugly. This is just what you will live with, and they have been able to get away with it for some 60 years. And because the money has gotten so big, researchers have done their homework from the academia positions, and that's both economic professors, sports management professors, sociology professors on every end of this, business professors in general, also individuals like yourselves, reporters that have dug deep and tried to do their homework, and also those writers out there as well that have kind of brought this to the surface to the point the lawyers have gotten involved, and you know when the lawyers get involved, it becomes serious big-time business. You know, two things are going to happen from what I can see. There will be a lot of pro bono work. Folks may think a lot of some guys, some Absolutely. law firms will, will be looking to get paid. When you have a landmark decision, and most of us have read and through the years and all in education, especially with the Board of Education, a lot of law firms will take a pro bono situation like this landmark and be on the forefront and just and figure it out, make it work, and have their name stamped on that translation. Right, because it gives you access to money afterwards because you're building the legacy of your corporate association with a land, uh, you know, a time-changing environment. I'll give you one example, particularly from our background that is familiar, that is significant with us, is what the NAACP did throughout the 50s. I'm teaching a class now, Sport 476, which is the history of Africana diaspora with a particular interest on HBCU sports, just going back. And I tie it in so my students understand not only what we're going on in sports, but what we're going on in terms of community involvement, racial pride, uh, the connecting with uh, uh, the importance of the community involvement. But if you realize that the NAACP actually galvanized and saved money to create cases that fought segregation years before the final decision in 1954 that came around to turn everything around. But they started picking up little cases such that they could challenge it. So they would ask people to actually try that had certain grades and had grades that were superior that should allow them in institutions. They would actually go to parents that saw a common cause in terms of uplifting the people of a community. In this term, I'm talking about black people, African Americans, in terms of trying and striking down segregated laws, particularly in the South which was the law of the land right? until 1954, Brown versus Board of Education, which was fought by the financial underpinning in the battle of the NAACP, which brings us to what you're talking about. There are significant organizations that have an interest True. and believe in what they're fighting for True. that are going to financially uh, put every penny they can in raising money to get what they think are just due, and that's what was quoted. So you see, again, several lawsuits that are out there. You even see the big-time lawyer just got involved in a case in NAACP that fought a lot of the NFL legislative CBA actions. I can't think of his name right now. I'll see if I can uh, come before we end our dialogue. But he's jumped on board, and they're not even fighting for compensation. They're just fighting for the laws to be changed because they see that they're so backwards. They know the money will come later. And I wanted to talk about read a few things from an article on, also on ESPN.com by Lester Munson, who is ESPN's legal expert, and he wrote uh, his thoughts on today's ruling by the NLRB, uh, the regional director. A few things I want to get you guys' thoughts on here. The, the regional director of the National Labor Relations Board in Chicago, his name, his name is Peter Sung Orr. And part of uh, his ruling, reasons for his ruling, 
with these. Uh, what is the basis that college athletes are employees and entitled to form a union? Mr. In Mr. Orr's uh, reasoning, this is very important. Listen close. He, he stated, he based his conclusion primarily on the enormous revenue and benefit that result from the efforts of the Northwestern football players and on the rigorous control that the Wildcats coaches have over the lives of the scholarship athletes. The first thing that Orr mentioned as he began to explain his decision was that Northwestern enjoyed football revenue. This is Northwestern. Enjoyed football revenue of $235 million over the nine years between 2003 and 2012. Clearly impressed with that enormous income, Orr explained, somewhat unnecessary, this is less than months in writing, that the university could use this, quote, economic benefit in, quote, any manner it shows, end quote. It wasn't just the money, though, that Orr added. There's also the great benefit of the, quote, immeasurable positive impact to Northwestern's reputation a winning football team may have, end quote. Next, this is a real key part here. Orr was also impressed with the hour-by-hour, day-by-day control that the coaching staff has over players' lives. Orr devoted more than 10 pages of his 24-page opinion to a detailed description of practice schedules, workout requirements, and coaches' supervision, including approval of living arrangements, registration of automobiles, control of the use of social media, address codes, restrictions on off-campus travel, and demanding study schedules. It was that kind of control or concluded that an employer has over an employee, not the kind of control a school has over a student. I told you it was coming. At some point. At some point. That's all I'm saying. And we, Somebody's going to stand up. And as Doc pointed out, this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is not going to, you know, the appeal process and everything going to take years to to be resolved. It's going to, and I do believe it's going to have to be some sort of collective bargaining done to appease both sides, something Ooh. that both sides can agree upon that they can live. But if you're an uh, NCA, they oh, get yeah. nervous. You use that. Uh, they're going to. They should be nervous. <laughs> but basically, that's what it's going to come down to. But they don't for want those who either. wonder, why are we all, do Why are we spending all this time talking about this? This is key. Change the game. If the decision is upheld, it will give players at private universities a voice in the management of their lives as athletes and students. It will qualify players for workers' compensation benefits for injuries that occur during their playing careers, benefits that will cover them well into their futures, instead of coaches issuing schedules and setting rules for their private lives, the players and their union will bargain for their working conditions in the same way as NFL and Major League Baseball players bargain for benefits. And although Northwestern players say they are not interested in payments for the efforts, the formation of a players' union will open the way to salaries for athletes in football and men's basketball. Now, with that being said, Doc, how much difference or the level would change, not so much from school to school, but private, what KJ just mentioned, private school to the state school. Whose advantage will it be, let's just say, football is just on a different level. But basketball, Everybody's all Division One, so when you start looking at those numbers and all, that's a lot of schools that you got to implicate in in one division by itself. Oh, this has rippling effects, repercussions, because when you talk about the private school issue, is now this becomes a decision. Let's say it goes all the way up and it's held. Well, now you have the private schools that have an issue; they have to pay. So now you're talking about what is the competitive advantage? So how does the conference deal with this issue when they have schools that are public also in their conference throughout different states? Because now it becomes a state issue. Now you have to go look at the state to see what the state rules are in terms of unionization of public institutions. So it can, in a conference as vast as the Big Ten, since that's what we're looking with Northwestern, you have obviously one private institution, the rest public. You have uh, institutions all the way from now, Syracuse, 
in Maryland coming in all the way back out to Wisconsin. So each of those different states is going to have different rulings on how they're going to deal with this. Now you also have the issue of how you deal with recruiting. Well, if I'm a recruit and I can go to Northwestern and they decide to pay it and, you know, I'm going to go there versus Texas. So now Texas got to deal with, say, well, maybe we should unionize or how are we going to make sure that we're competitive against it? Then you have an issue, issue does the Big Ten vote Northwestern out of the conference. So there's all kinds of directions this thing can go. So it's going to get quite interesting as you continue to look at it. And this is a ruling that is so detailed, and if you look at previous cases of unionization, this is not something that will be overly uh, easily overturned on the appeal. They have a different, Northwestern has a difficult fight. Uh, in terms of how they're going to deal with this. Then you have the issue with universities saying, well, we just can't afford it. We'll drop football or we'll do football like the Ivy League and then see if the conference will let us stay in terms of the other sports. With, with that being said, how, <clears throat> everybody's at, at 85 scholarships, Division One. Now, that's the next thing, the numbers. Do you, how much do you change the numbers as far as scholarships allowed in that particular sport? Because in the rest of them, you know, it's it's, it's all open. It's all this. That's why I said this is so much of changing the game. This is all up in the air. This is going to be a group of leaders that get together and decide how do we change the governing of our rules now. As I said earlier, there's a group called the Big Five, and they were trying to get ahead of it. They just couldn't do it fast enough uh, for this decision to be made. Uh, to try to get some rule change in NCAA. So you might have a policy where they decide just to flat lead you NCAA, uh, become more like a minor league, collective bargain, do what they do with their money, and just move forward with those 60-plus schools, five institutions, whatever. I said at the beginning, if you really look what they were doing, it's basically a monopoly anyway. They froze out the Big East. Nobody even looked at the fact. They killed the Big East. Nobody wants to say that. But they officially killed the Big East. That's what you do when you look at true businesses, big-time businesses, that can get away with monopolies looking at mergers and acquisitions. That's what they did when you look at the fact that the SEC brought in Texas A&M and Missouri. That was a straight-up acquisition. Because they wanted television rights of the state of Missouri, and you had states of Texas. I was one of the few professors that said this at the beginning, and I will continue to say it. It's big business, and that is nothing more than what we call in traditional business setting with the business creating the acquisition to get a part of a company that they don't have. So if you're Coca-Cola and you need a place and you want to go to um, the state of Texas and you don't have a bottling company, you go buy one. You want to move in to the country of Africa because you know they like to drink pop all of a sudden and they already have a company there. You don't want to start a new company from grounds up because it costs you billions. You just buy one for two billion. That's what they did. They created an acquisition, brought in Texas A&M, brought in Missouri. You've seen the same with ACC. They brought in Syracuse a while back. Then they came back and said that was enough. They brought in Louisville Louisville from the Big East. And obviously before that, um, uh, Syracuse, as I talked about, Miami and all those institutions. Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, the leading. And then you had a Big Ten. They decided, well, since y'all doing it, we'll do it too. This is good for business. So they went out and got Rutgers. Picked up Maryland. <laughs> and so and, uh, they killed the Big East. So that's one less mouth. And why I say that, that's one less mouth they have to feed. So instead of the Big Six, becomes the Big Five. And stays that way. Not necessarily. If you're not strong. As far as. It does right now. If yeah. you're not strong enough and you can't convince the other ones that you bring something to the table, they'll eat you up. And that's what. Essentially, what we call the Big 12. Sharks that's what it water. was going to. And that's why it was questioned whether it was going to survive. Because it looked like the Pac-10 went, was going to go to the Pac-16 before it went back to the Pac-12. Which would have left the door open for the SEC to get two more and go to 16. The Big 10 to go. Who knows? So, these people are opportunists. They cannibalize each other. But they don't have no good feelings about the conference. They thought they were on equal footing with the Big East, and you see what they did with that, and that's why I'll continue to uh, repeat it so you understand that this is not about friendship. This is about doing business as they do, and you think about it really at the NFL. 
and how the NFL has effectively basically knocked out any other football-type organization that has tried to compete at the professional level. It has found ways to squash them. That's essentially what this Big Five is doing. They didn't get ahead of this further enough, but you, sure enough, there are people on the conference call right now, late night, trying to figure out how they're going to deal with this issue. And folks, as a person that was a part of the uh, witnessing of this going on, that's how the, uh, the Mountain West was formed. They basically left Las Vegas, went to Denver, met in the, one of those VIP lounges at the airport, and before the week was over, they was gone. That that regional group with Utah, Colorado State, they left the whack. They left when the it was whack, sixteen, and it was when it was announced that quick. It was nothing anybody could do to get to get a vote or anything. They was done. Yeah. They had a TV uh, contract with ESPN. And that's what get, what got it. Well, done. you you think about how serious this is. The ACC has not paid Maryland a dime of money it's earned over the last four years because they fighting over how much Maryland is supposed to pay to get out of the conference. This is was just a college non business relationship. Hey, yeah, right, <laughs> buddy, buddy. It's fifty million dollars on uh, as part of that suit. Thank you. Fifty million is fifty million. I won't mind. And it's. The ramifications of that, if Maryland does not have to pay exit fees to the ACC for their for leaving to go to the Big Ten, will open up a whole Pandora's box for for schools wanting to bolt because the ACC added uh, the rights fees in hopes that it would curtail curtail schools from leaving conference. So, if Maryland wins their suit. Man, oh man, that's just a speaking of wow. Guess what kind of like this ease across the bottom of the teletype earlier this either Monday or Tuesday this week. ACC is moving that tournament to to, 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 to Brooklyn, Brooklyn for three years. Within within two years, and they're gonna have a have a three year run. Interesting. When you had that tournament right there in the region in Greensboro, oh yeah, driving this for every school in that conference. Interesting, but. You know what kind of television ratings you going to the Mecca now? ACC has a chance to go to New York. That's yeah. That's one of the reasons they they added Syracuse to the conference right. was to play the, have the conference tournament in New York. New York, no question. Ideally, it was to which be again in Square Garden was where Big East fine. marquee event. Yep, that's what you do in the terms of what we call in business mergers and acquisitions. They couldn't get in to the ACC. I mean, they couldn't get in to New York. To New York prior to this, but you take the schools that are in the Big East that have that, you devour the Big East, and this new Big East that isn't the Big East. Now you can come in and you have the power to negotiate, and they'd be more than happy to bring ACC there. And folks, I would advise you to to go to watch the thirty for thirty about the Big East when it was the Big East. And how it formed to kind of give you ideas of what we're talking about when we talk about the association with the television, also the death, which gives okay. a very good lesson of what we see going on with the NCAA now in terms and its member institutions. And I will continue to say it, the Big Five, and their need to continue to negotiate these huge television money and what it's doing. One thing else I'll quote in terms of that's in this book to give you some more ideology as our listeners hopefully are really getting embedded to how massive this decision was and where it could lead us. Byers believes that modern-day college sports are no longer a student activity. That's what NCA started as, a student activity and the governance of these student activities. So I'll say it again. Byers believes that modern-day college sports are no longer a student activity. They are a high-dollar commercial enterprise, and college athletes should have the same access to the free market as their coaches in colleges, end quote. Just saw a tweet from uh, ESPN's Holly Rowe. Well, I just saw it. It retweeted by a colleague of ours. She has this question. Intrigued by NCAA players unionizing, have they thought out all inherent costs the university absorbs, medical care, travel, tuition, equipment, etc.? Doesn't the company do that? No, let me get this straight. And that's, no, let's get this straight. This is one thing that needs to be said that 
people like to throw out there in terms of they getting a scholarship and whether they get taxed and this. At this point, oftentimes the school may deal with medical issues, but they're not governed by that. And all of them don't do it. And all of them don't do it the same. So people need to quit trying to throw that out there as if they're doing some favor when they haven't done their homework, obviously, and don't understand that this is not a cost that has occurred and that they're guaranteed to get that. And in fact, there have been cases before where there's institutions that actually put this medical fee on the students' parents' insurance and the deductible, and they may pay that at the most. So don't get it twisted and, and suggest that all this is actually being on the board of the athlete. And in fact, that's what they're asking for, so they can control that and mandate that these health issues are mandatory and not something on whether an institution decides to do it in good faith or not. And in the process, if a kid gets hurt, athlete, doesn't matter what sport it is, that's when the institution goes to the, we're here to protect the student-athletes, so if you ask a question about their health or well-being, that, that, that can't come up in the conversation. All three of us have witnessed that sure have. in, in post-game. Mm -hmm. And knowing that in the process, something happened. We don't know exactly what, but first time the coach's mouth or the SID's mouth, uh, we're not allowed to, to give out that information. The only way that can be handled is by the parent or by the student athlete himself. And just like you said, quite a bit of families have been put in a financial bind at the wrong time during that kid's situation. And we've got, there are plenty of cases going on. And y'all who have played, followed sports, know this for a fact right. that students have had to deal with this issue personally in terms of knowing their parents, asking them questions uh, that they didn't realize at the time, but it's the situation they were caught in. So for her to suggest that um, it is knowing somebody that really doesn't understand NCA, even though they cover it. She's naive. And she's like she being naive. And, and that's why. She said it best. And I respect her, but she's being naive. Hey, hey. Okay. She, go ahead. I love that talk. I love doing these podcasts. Thank you, fellas, for being on the podcast. And before we talk about the coaches' situation sure. locally, Doc, tell folks how they can find you and who you are and great things like that. Yes, you can find me on the social media platforms of Instagram. Uh, obviously, um, Facebook, Twitter, and that's at Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Again, that's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. So you'll see you can get me in from those social media platforms. You can also email me directly at kcavill at THG, that's agency.com. Again, that's kcavill at THG-agency.com. Uh, you can find my polls as we start in the end, Black College Polls. My final polls will come out next week. We'll give you some coaches of the year and some All-American athletes coming up over the next two weeks as the final poll is released next week. And with that, you'll see um, you can get that at DHRR. That's the HoustonRoundBallReview.com in terms of basketball. And then you'll see me on College Football uh, Sport Network as well. So those are some of the places that you can find me. Wildcat. How can folks find you, sir? I've got platforms on Twitter, Blogger, and the print issue of A King Size View. It's due out this, the next issue is due out this week. But you can check me out at AKSVZCSR, blogspot.com. Twitter is the same handle. I don't want to confuse people. So when you, when you put that out there, when you, Google that up, AKSV, DCSR, the College Sports Reporter. That's where you can find me at. And folks, this is a, this, the last, uh, the article I just wrote this week was about the tournament. It's about the three positions. Guard play, free throws, and a dominant big man. I'm going to talk about one dominant big man. That's locally because it was mentioned by Reggie Miller. Best player on the floor all night. Only one dominant big man so far. And who is he, sir? Eric Murray. And he's like the Southern University. And you know, people looked at us like we say we mentioned the best big man in the city when the season and, and, started. And yeah, let's remind the listeners, especially and inform listeners who are new to the podcast, 
we talked about Eric Murray and the impact he'd have on TSU back in June, July. Because who wrote an and, article? And we picked them to win the SWAC back in June, July. <laughs> because of uh, the attention that a website, College Sports Management, I believe, or someone gave them then, and we mentioned it, and we ran with it then. So, listen to these podcasts for a few reasons. For entertainment, education, my sexy voice. Sometimes we do know what we're talking about. Thank you, sir. And I am KG of the Houston Round Ball Review. The website is HoustonRoundBallReview.com as well as T-H-E-H-R-R.com. I'm also on Twitter at T-H-E-H-R-Review. On YouTube at Houston Round Bar Review. On Instagram, Houston Round Bar Review. We have our KG Fifth Walk Hat Doc Podcast page on Facebook now. Oh. We, we encourage you to like that and and uh, soon enough, we're going to ha- ask you to post questions, the topics for us to answer and address during the podcast. So uh, start l- looking for that. Want to talk about um, some local stuff? Some local stuff. Friday's podcast. I mentioned info that um, was a rumor regarding At that time. Coach James Dickey's. Uh, contract that he received, and we'd never validated it, and I doubted it at that time. And I did state that in the podcast that I was told that Coach Dickey was given a two-year contract extension, make his contract last through the year 2017. Well, Monday, a few days later, and a few days prior to tonight's podcast, Coach Dickey announced that he was stepping down as head coach of the Cougars men's basketball program effective immediately. Clearly. He wasn't expecting that? He was not. He did not have a contract extension through 2017 because he was not, the U of A does not have, well, so far does not, does not have that kind of money to spend on a coach for three years to just go away. That's one take. You know, Second, I looked at you just right here. Yes, uh-huh. <laughs> Second. Uh, me and friends, you know, I'm a Cougar. Me and friends, alums, were kicking around names of possible coaching candidates for the job. It wasn't 24 hours elapsed before Yahoo Sports reported, uh, Yahoo Sports, Pat Forty, and multiple you know, people at Yahoo Sports, Adrian Wojnarowski, etc., that Kelvin Sampson, the Rockets assistant coach, had emerged as a leading candidate for the job to become head coach at U of H. Now, Wildcat. I'm listening. That was within hours of Dickey stepping down as coach. And it goes to Which tells me. There you go. Go with it. Go with it. Run with that. He was asked to step down. Because logically, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. But logically, you would not believe that a, the Cougars would not already have someone emerge as a leading candidate within six hours of the coach resigning, the previous coach resigning. Right Auburn and Tommy Tuberville. That's all I'm saying. Am I wrong? And let's get into a little bit more. Because Kelvin Sampson, ESPN.com, Jeff Goodman, said later on that uh, compensation may be an issue. Well, we're at Wednesday. For, for, for which one? For, for which one? For U of H paying Kelvin Sampson. He may, he may want too much money. U of H may not be able to afford him, et cetera. So, that so, my thought, so my thoughts to you were two days after the fact, going on three days, because Thursday will be here as soon as we know it. Kelvin Sampson has not been named head coach yet. And so could, it be a money, could money be an issue? Salary be an issue? Or, my question for our, our expert colleague here, University of Houston is a public, is a state institution. Don't they have, the head coaching position is a staff position. Yeah. Don't they have to post a job that is available? Yes. But there's a, there's ways around it. Do you know those ways? Can you elaborate on those ways, sir, for our listeners, <laughs> I mean, without getting without getting you in any pu- trouble publicly, or anything like? Publicly, yes. can you can, can you 
can you give not so much a detail away, you, Doc? Because I want to save you. I yeah, wanna save yeah, we don't want to get you in trouble. Your your your, your, your laughter says enough right there, sir. Right. But because there are ways of getting around it. Right. And okay. I'll leave it there. Okay. Right. Thank you very much. That that's what I want to folks yeah. to understand. Thank you. That's that's all. In case you're wondering, wait a minute. Seriously, they are, they are. U of H is a public university, don't they? So, in case you're asking that question in the back of your mind, there you go. And I want to read this as well. And time permitting, later on this evening or tonight, I am going to uh, write a commentary, a brief commentary on one of my, my Basketball for Thought blog about the women's basketball program at the University of Houston. Because I, I wrote about it a few months ago, well, a few weeks ago, and I haven't really added any thoughts. Since then, does that mean I don't have any information? It just means I haven't had a time, haven't taken time to share my thoughts with everyone in print. Because if you listen to the Friday's podcast, some of those thoughts I brought to light. The University of Houston administration has no comment regarding their coaching search for Kelvin Sampson. On the men's side, replacing Coach Dickey on the men's side, nor on the uh, women's side to replace Todd Buchanan. That's a no comment. Interesting. I want to shoot down some of these things I'm about to say. I'm going to put in, uh, will be in my basketball thought commentary. Over the weekend, I was uh, a coaching colleague. Comment, um, contacted me saying that they had heard a name mentioned for the job, for the U of H women's job. I contacted that person specifically because I've known this person for years. And that person told me that's not true. They have not been contacted. Hmm. I'm not saying that. In, in the Chronicles and uh, Mark Berman's article on Tuesday on uh, myfoxhouston.com. I have no problem, you know, missing sources of information. I get credit where it's due. Mm-hmm. I, you know, that's what I do. And I expect the same in return. Mac Rhodes, in an article by Joseph Duarte, states that the university will begin in a national search for a women's head coach. Keep in mind now, the job has been open since December 21st. Duarte's wording is, we'll begin a national search for a women's head coach. I know for a fact one person has been contacted by the university. Has been? Has been. I know that for a fact. That person told me that. I know that for a fact. Now, when I, the website that I sent you to, is that the only place you found? Because that's the only place I found where it's been listed as a job being open. Everywhere else, when you read, when you you go to these other uh, uh, websites as far as uh, employment and NC2A coaching changes. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. Correct. But trust me when I say this person has been contacted. Okay. And I'm not even going to give any the listeners any inkling of if it's a man or a woman. That's why I'm saying that person con- has been contacted. That person told me this. So, the search has already begun. And I also know for a fact that I was told this directly that U of H was, would be looking at candidates of coaches who were in the tournament and would not name a new coach based on how long the candidate's team was in the tournament. So apparently somebody is still, is, is still in the tournament. And I was told that a month ago. So somebody is still in the tournament. So trust me somebody when I tell you. Trust me when I tell you. <laughs> you know, you know. Trust me when I tell you. Certain colleagues don't know what I know. Point blank. Gotcha. Because you. they don't. Well, hell. Point they don't blank. Have a thank you, sir. And they think women's basketball is a waste of my time. Because I hear quite often, why do you cover women's basketball? Why do you spend so much time on it? Because the y'all people. don't. There you go. Because y'all don't. I think they deserve attention recognition just like the men's basketball players do. That's why I do it. But trust me, and I can tell you who it was off the air. 
But this was directly from that person's mouth. I understand. So I know what I'm talking yeah, about. That's and, why I haven't, I haven't written. And it's not like you things. don't want to tell it, but you, if that person told you that at that point they didn't want their name out there, you have to respect the rights as a writer that you're not going to bring Correct. things up. So we're going to see issues. So we're going to. So we'll yeah. share it when the time comes. Right? Yes. Now I wanted to touch on this. Get your thoughts on this, and then we're going to wrap it up. I want to remind everybody. Thursday, April 3rd, is the 2013 to 2014 Gavi Lewis Award Banquet on the University campus in the Great Hall, the Quinn Great Hall at the Athletics Alumni Facility. I'm getting votes, tallying votes. That's one reason why we're going to wrap this podcast up a little quicker than usual because i got to tally votes up from the high school coaches. But we're going to acknowledge the top 10 players at the award ceremony and announce the player of the year. Fans still have time to go to GodVLewisAward.org and vote. Their vote, fan vote does count toward our uh, decision toward the player of the year. So you can go to GodVLewisAward.org. There's a link to the top ten that you can click on and cash your vote for the top three choices. And I must say, the votes I received from the coaches have been split. Really? So it kind of surprised me. It's not a consensus of, like the Chronicle announced, Justice Winslow as their player of the year. There you go. There you go. Trust me when I say I've been surprised that Justice Winslow has not received the votes he, he got in the Chronicle. A whole lot of votes. Not saying he's received some votes, but it's been split right, by three you. or four oh, different yeah. different guys. So right. I was surprised at that. But hey, the coaches seen these players a lot more than I have, right. and I don't follow boys basketball like I used to back in the day. Fans still have a ch- chance to go to GuyVLewisAward.org and vote uh, for their top three choices for the Boys Player of the Year. And as I mentioned on Friday's podcast, Coach Guy V. Lewis is still slated to appear at the presentation. So that is yet another reason for you to attend the third annual award presentation just to see an icon, a great man, a great coach and a great person at the presentation and say thank you for everything he's done for basketball. Not just the University of Houston, but basketball. Because trust me, if you don't know the impact Coach Lewis has had on basketball, do some research. Okay, South Florida. Here's this Auburn and Tuba, Tommy Tuberville. Tuesday afternoon, morning. Was uh had reached an agreement with a new head coach. Tuesday night, the agreement was dead. It turns out the Manhattan head coach Steve Masiello, who was supposed to be the next head coach at USF, does not have a college degree. George O'Leary, Notre Dame, and USF discovered that running background checks. After the fact, apparently after the fact that they, an agreement was reached between USF board and the coach, it was a five-year deal worth, I want to say, almost a million dollars per year. And then, I guess, I don't know, the um, background checks or information finally reached them, and then they realized, wait a minute, this man does not have a degree. But I want to get your, your thoughts on, because now the search is still open again, so USF is looking for a coach, and it ties all in because... USF is in the same conference as the University of Houston in the American Athletic Conference. It's taking kind of beatings and things like this, public relations-wise. But, search firm. Let me read this to you, Doc. We're going to wrap it up. we got 10 minutes or so. Yeah, because I only need three minutes to talk about this. I, I don't. Oh, we've got to wrap it up with the great, great news of Malamata beating Rice in baseball there you tonight. Go. Six to two to get no midweek pitching. So I'm no very happy about pitching. that. That's what I, that's two wins what over I the Owls I mean, this that's year. That's what's going on. Two wins over the Owls no this mid-week. year. No midweek. So that, that is a great, great thing. <laughs> but both teams are now ranked in the top 15 in Division One, and both teams will be going to the tournament. There's no doubt about that. Oh, that's so I expect you. I expect you to win the conference. Well, Louisville have, have a saying that, but because Louisville was picked first, who was picked second or third? In the preseason poll, you know, polls are just for publicity. Hey, somebody got to, you got to, got to get out there and play. Exactly, but 
Tampa Bay uh, Tribune, Tampa Tribune, uh, written by, uh, let me get the name right, Joey Johnson of the Tribune staff, wrote about the coaching situation, search firm. Eastman and Bodine, Bodine, is a Texas-based search firm that was paid 60 grand by USF to find men's basketball coaching candidates. Was completing a routine criminal and background check, and that's when they realized that coach did not have, coach Matt did not have a, not have a bachelor's degree. First things first, I think search firms are getting over. Because if you were an AD worth your salt, you should already have candidates in mind, qualifications in mind. This is what I want in my next head coach. This is who I have in mind for the job. Let me go make my phone calls myself, do my due diligence. Then if I want, obviously I want the background checks done, that ain't going to cost you 60 grand to get that done. If, I, if I'm worth my salt, that's right. I should have all that done. Because if you're an AD, you should have contacts already. Colleagues, friends, coaching buddies, ADs, and just say, John Q. You know I've been friends a long time. Give me your thoughts on so-and-so as a head coach. It's not a bad idea. Here's some other folks you should be looking at. You should look at for the job. Thank you. I don't need no That's how that. ADs lose their job. Hiring, doing bad hiring of coaches. We've all witnessed that on both sides of the spectrum. At some point, if you don't know what you're doing, get some help. That's what UT did with Steve Patrick. Right. And exactly. And I'm saying it just like that. And the kicker is this. The search firm that USF hired also was paid hundred grand by USF in the search for the new AD, which is just a month ago. Wow. So they, they, they paid really for the AD, and then they got them the coach. So they got over twice. And did nothing. Literally. Did nothing that you and I could really do ourselves. Making a phone call and get to other people and say. No, what well, the search firm, the way they have it now, is the search firm actually has a bag of pool of talent that they already have. So you have, they've really created this environment such that it protects all these folks involved, which goes back to I was talking about why a lot of this is a farce and truly a business. But you have a search form, and the search firm has a relationship. Because oftentimes these search firms are previous athletic directors, sure. previous consultants to the group. Somehow they were involved in athletics. Got agents. And agents and found a way. So basically they work with the agent. They get a bank of files of these people, and they find a fit, and then they dump them off in different areas. But it allows for the negotiation to take place. Uh, it allows money to be flown in different areas. And it protects, supposedly, like the athletic director or a president, because now they can say all the searching stuff was done by the search firm. So I just want to throw that out there. I'm not sure. I hope that U of H is not spending money on a search firm. They have done it before. But I hope they're not yeah. doing that. Under the, uh, wasting, and, and, wasting money. And under this particular administration, both the president, this president, and this AD, they've used search form. Thank form. you. Uh huh. The previous administration, it was basically just like Doc said to get a pool together, and then the uh, folks on campus that understood what they was looking at made the hire. Because I'm, I'm, I'm not taking a shot at Coach James Dickey, but if the search firm presented him as the best candidate for the job, I rest my case. <laughs> And you and I were there when Pe when Penders got hired because oh that's funny. <laughs> Big Dave said point blank in front of everybody, I didn't make this hire. So, the alumni right got together and for and forced this hire. So when you have complaints down the road, that's who you talk to. And Big Dave is Dave Maggard, who some alums now realize maybe he wasn't so bad after all. Hey, right. <clears throat> the man hired two coaches that won national championships. He had Art Browse and Kevin Sumlin, and the program made a jump. Huge. They weren't the, just the also-ran anymore. I'm just saying. Right, and let me say this again about my beloved university. Getting back to Kelvin Sampson as the leading candidate. Yahoo Sports also reported that Texas Southern's Mike Davis was another name mentioned for the job. I find that so ironic because last year 
after success TSU had. The podcast, Wildcat and I said then that Mike Davis would be a great candidate for the U of A's job. I went so far as to say I wanted Mike Davis, I wanted Cynthia Cooper, and I wanted Charles McClellan, all three of them, to come over as a package deal to come over to U of H. Yeah, he was, he was pushing. He, you talk about a while. all of that. You can he, go take he was wild. Podcast <laughs> archive. Listen to that. I mentioned Mike Davis' name as a candidate to alums last year, and I was told, whoa, we ain't hiding nobody from TSU. That's TSU, end quote. <laughs> now you won't play him. Am so I wrong? the fact now that a year has taken has passed, TSU gets to the tournament, the NCAA tournament, under Mike Davis. And now all of a sudden he's a viable candidate for the job. Well, I'll be damned. Now, wasn't, ahead, that, wasn't that another add-on? No, I'm not saying that. Okay, then. We're going to let that go then. We're I'm not saying go. that part. But I will make this statement. Uh, well, I'll make this comment now. Rice hired a new basketball coach for men's basketball. Uh, his name is Mike Rhodes. He's the formerly the uh, assistant at uh, VCU, the Rams. Uh, he's coming in and taking over the program. He will be here. Uh, there will be an introduction on tomorrow. It would have been today, but because of uh, travel uh, uh, issues, not being able to make connections or whatever, uh, it's going to be done tomorrow in the R room. Uh, he's got um, some of the background that the uh, new AD uh, uh, was caused to uh, call, guard, uh, the AD at, at Rice. He's got some of that same background, Division III uh, coaching, uh, also with uh, with VCU. You know, he understands, you know, what's uh, the uh, landscape as far as scholarships and on-campus situation. But it still boils down to two things. One, figure out a way to recruit Houston, the Houston area. And then two, find that guy, that kid that wants to come to Rice nationally. That's going to be the other thing. Uh, because when the uh, triplets came in um, under Coach Wilson, there was a, you know, you had one, uh, Mike Davis, uh, Mike, uh, Michael Harris from Texas. Uh, Jason McCreese and Brock Gillespie. Brock Gillespie uh, from Tennessee. And Jason McCreese from and, and New Jason, York. Uh, Jason McCreese from uh, New, New York, who was also had Syracuse and UConn on his recruiting schedule, but he chose Rice because of an education. Correct. And I'm just saying, hopefully this will work out. Because the key will be putting a staff together that understands this region. Not so much the conference, but just this region alone. Will you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And because uh, pay won't be a pay won't be an issue at Rice, and it, and it shouldn't be. And I, I'm anxious to see how much under the new AD Rice spends on marketing, promoting, and just the business of basketball, as opposed to football and baseball that have success now. Football, especially baseball, has been successful for years. See how much they really being toward basketball. Um, good luck to co- to Coach Rhodes, and this is a hotbed of talent. So that that shouldn't be. If, as long as he does his homework and makes smart hires for his staff, shouldn't be a problem getting talent here. Even talent good enough academically academically to get into Rice, that shouldn't be a problem. Lastly, as I wrap it up here, one last thing about you facing the job. If Coach Kelvin Sampson doesn't get the job. I have two other names who one person told me today it would be his dream job to lead the Cougars. And you know him, Wildcat. No. Oh. <laughs> and another person. I let that go. Another person has been contacted by a friend of mine. I've yet to hear if his response, but everybody knows this person. Oh. Everybody. So, going to wrap it up there. How about those teasers, listeners, for the next podcast? And, folks. We do know what we're talking about sometime. All the time. Don't let the folks fool you about those haters. We're going to wrap it up. Thank you, as always, for listening. We're still working toward getting sponsors for the podcast. I will be in Nashville next Friday night uh, for a few days for the Women's Final Four. We'll talk about Final Four and stuff for the next podcast. You know, 316 on both sides now, men's and women. We'll get more details of that later on. 
And Doc, we, I'm, I'm working on that. Uh, you mentioned about getting your opportunity to Final Four. Trust me, you're hanging with two guys that can get you there. That'll work. So thank you, gentlemen, for your insight and your input. As always, hope you enjoy the podcast. Look for it on, on iTunes, on SoundCloud.com. Even link to it on LinkedIn, a LinkedIn profile as well. Uh, we're trying to just branch out and make everybody give access to the podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for telling your friends about it. I'm going to wrap it up as I always do. In conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more. <laughs>